Kingin wave, Fox Beer, Locker's action, very weird. Captain Pike, Cisco's wife, Klingons, and the afterlife. Boimler, Tendy's dog, Ransom is very harsh. Four drive, Black Alert, Giorgio has gone berserk. Teacher, bad left, Edward is an idiot, Fuck is dead, Wolf is wed, Chekhov's wearing red. Peter's cat, Kim Pack's cat, you have had enough of that. Beam me up, make it so, everybody let's go. We are Well, good evening, Trekkies and Trekkers around the globe. It is Thursday, November 30th, 2023, 7.30 p.m. Eastern Time. That means we are live. You can pick up your fingers. And call Trek Talking right now, 646-668-2433. And if you're a fan of Discovery, you're definitely going to want to do that because we're going to be talking about what I want to call the pilot episode of Discovery. Context is for Kings. And while we're on it, we're going to delve into Discovery and talk about it. So if you're a fan, you definitely want to join us. It's going to be a lot of fun. Um this is episode 566, which is really cool. And I'm your most excellent host, Uncle Jim. And before we go too far, I would like to go around and introduce you to my plethora of Trek spurts. The amassed knowledge amongst us could fill a galaxy tenfold. The Star Trek knowledge is just dripping, dripping <laughs> from us. It's just not, not in a gross way, though. Not in a gross way. You're not going to say moist, are you? No. I... <laughs> Family show. I, Family I show. So I try not to say it anymore if I can. Just, uh, you know, a tip amongst one host to another. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we're we're going to be canoodling knowledge. Oh, so, sweet. Uh, Excellent. Uh, <laughs> so Let's let's swing all the way over before we go to Portland because there's something in the water over there. I'm not sure what it is. But before we get to the Portland water, we're going to go all the way over to Las Vegas, and we're going to say hello to Charles. How are you doing, Charles? I'm doing good, enjoying our fall-slash-winter-like weather. So I hear it's going to be warming up a little bit next week. But doing good, ready to talk some Trek again. Yeah, it seems like it's been forever, and it's only been one week. Well, two, because we had Thanksgiving here in the U.S. last week. But that's cool. We, we of course, have snow here, uh, which is wonderful. I love it. I, I just I can't wait. I just It's the greatest time of the year. Let it snow, let it snow. You know what? We should do a singing episode like it did on Discovery. And we could just sing a uh, Christmas I have, song. Yeah. Like I you am know? 100% behind that. You know that, Jim. We, we could do it. We could make it happen. We could. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And now, let's get over there to Portland where there's something in the water. I don't know what it is. It breeds trekisms left and right. And let's start off with the very own David, the donut guy. How you doing tonight, David? It helps you sing. The water does. It helps you. Anyways. <laughs> 
Uh, I'm doing pretty good. It's actually really wet over here. It's been raining all day, and like, she puddled all over the sidewalks and streets, and yeah. So you're pretty. David, the chocolate donut guy. Did you bring enough to share? That's a maybe. No. <laughs> yeah, maybe. <laughs> all right. Also, not too far from David, we have our very own Eric. How you doing tonight, Eric? You know, I'm doing pretty good. I do feel like it's been a little while since we have gotten together with no show last week, but uh, but it's been a good week, uh, and I made good use of the four-day weekend, um, doing various things around the house and whatnot, and it's been kind of fun to revisit Star Trek Discovery, so uh, yeah, I'm happy to be here, and uh, happy to be talking to you guys again. It's always a good time. It, it- it's going to be good. And also, not far from David and not too far from our very own Eric, we have the toy guy himself, Paul. How are you doing tonight, Paul? Hey, I'm good, man. I'm good. It had it had slipped my mind that we weren't here last week because it was Thanksgiving. I feel like that just eclipsed everything. So it's kind of crazy. Uh, it's been an extremely busy, uh, zany week here in Portland. It was really cold for a while. But now it's positioned back to our beloved uh, rain, which is uh, kind of how we normally roll baseline here in the uh, the PNW. So it's kind of nice to have that going on. And, uh, yeah, ready to uh, – we're going to revisit a little discovery tonight, which should be actually very cool, um, back to the, the first season. So I'm looking forward to seeing where that takes us. And and uh, before, we, before I forget, next week we're going to – kind of be talking about discovery season two because next week is going to be our pike show we're going to be talking about the cage and we're going to be talking about captain pike all of the pikes that we've encountered so uh if you're into captain pike you want to be around next week we're going to have a lot of fun with that so um every week we start off the show with our fan shout outs and how do you become a fan well you go to our facebook page and I, I haven't, I, it's been a while, but Paul, how would our Facebook, how would our fans that are listening get to our Facebook page? What's the easiest way? Well, uh, it's challenging, man. So, and I don't know if everyone can do it, but I'm going to try to simplify things because, you know, easier technology is always better, right? So you, you, you got options. What I would do is I would actually go to your phone. Right. I think the phone is the easiest way. And I would go to the little blue and white app that has an F on it. And I'm not going to imply that the F stands for anything other than Facebook. But uh, I would click on that blue and white F. And you know what? It's going to launch the app. It's going to launch Facebook. And then you go to the little magnifying glass at the top. And you know what you do? Are you ready? Uh, you type in two words, Trek Talking, friends, Trek Talking. <laughs> It'll bring up a podcast reference showing our logo, which is kind of a a blue-purple planetary uh, silhouette, if you will, with uh, a little bit of the old uh, Delta Shield there peeking out at you. And it says, hey, yeah, we're a live weekly uh, podcast and whatnot. Uh, Some weeks are a little livelier than others. And uh, you just click on that. It'll take you right there. Or if you want to do something even crazier, just go to the Internet and type in Trek Talking. And you'll go to trektalking.com, which is sort of a backdoor way to get everything. Right. And that's just complete nonsense. You can find the Facebook link on there, too. You can find crazy art that we recently had commissioned of all of us that we look just amazingly uh, svelte and uh, streamlined, which is cool. Um, It is kind of ridiculous if you haven't visited the Trek Talking Facebook page. It is kind of disturbing 
how much content gets posted on there in the course of a typical day. <laughs> Let's just put it this way. I don't okay. know how he does it. Yeah, if, if, if posting on the Trek Talk, if every time a new Facebook page, if that was a drinking game, I would be on the floor <laughs> and never able to stand again. Ever. Ever for the rest of my life. I would be pickled to the 38th century because it's just, and most of this is Uncle Jim. It was just like constantly memeing and posting and, uh, and, and, and also, I like what Uncle Jim does. He provokes, right? He'll like put something out there. This is just an innocent post about nothing in particular that I know is going to make every conservative asset in the planet like poop their shorts. And you know, and he'll kind of suss out where the troublemakers are by doing that. I enjoy it. It's, it's we we here on the podcast get a big thing of popcorn. Uh, prepared and we sit back and we enjoy it. We go, oh yeah, that guy, Larry Kinkle in uh, South Carolina, he's going to be gone. He's going to get himself banned. It's great. So that's just some of the entertainment value that we have for you on our various uh, social media platforms, friends. What are you even doing listening to us right now? You should be on there right now looking at Jim's latest meme, a salacious one about Beverly Crusher, and I'll just leave it at that. And we're I, so popular, I, we're on the dark web. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Very you know, Jim is now selling special uh, Trek talking ghost candles that you can now order as well. Mm. Um, th- those light up yeah. uh, if you do a particular thing that I'll let you find out what that particular thing might be. I'm not going to say it. It's a family program. But, uh, but yeah, there's a lot of good stuff out there on the Facebook page. That's your gateway drug. I mean, gateway uh, uh, portal to all the things you may need. Uh, does that answer your question, Jim? Is that okay? I answered it well. And when you go there, right at the top of the of our Facebook page is a question asking where you're listening from, and all you need to do is answer the question and like try to get my attention. Like emojis get my attention, food emojis in particular, but flags work too. Um, I'm attracted to all the colors and the emojis. And then look for a heart next to your name from yours truly, Uncle Jim, and then you want to tune into the next podcast because your name is going to be mentioned. So that's exciting, and. As if that's not enough, you can also become a top fan. And you become a top fan by interacting with all the wonderful, wonderful memes that I put up on there, answering our questions about episodes, uh, you know, just having some fun with other Star Trek fans, and you can be a top fan. So that's that's where it's at. And right now we're going to do our fan shout-outs. And this is where we say thank you to you guys our listeners. So you want to get us started, Eric? Do I ever. Our very first uh, fan shout out this week is going out to top fan Rosa M. Brito from Guadalajara, Mexico. Rosa, thank you so much for supporting us from that wonderful country of Mexico. And uh, Guadalajara looks like a pretty cool area. I have never been there, but it is one of those many areas that I aspire to go to on the globe. Uh, We really appreciate your support down there. And, uh, Thanks for uh, thanks for saying hi to us on a regular basis. Also saying hello this week to Hiromachin Kanashiro, who uh, says that they are from Peru-Japan. And that got me uh, really interested, and I did a little searching and learned that uh, Peru has the second largest ethnic Japanese population in South America after Brazil. So there are a lot of ethnic Japanese that live in Peru, and so uh, Hiromachin, uh, per- presumably you have connections to both areas, and that is so cool to have feet in two different areas on the globe 
and for both of them to be big supporters of Star Trek, uh, because after all, is it not the coolest franchise out there? Thank you so much for saying hello to us. Also, hello this week to top fan Christina Montenegro, saying hello to us from the wonderful city of Rio de Janeiro in Brazil. Thank you so much for saying hello to us, Christina. Uh, Live long and prosper to you, and uh, what a wonderful place you live as well. And finally, on my list, I say hello this week to top fan Luc Lavoie, who is saying hello to us from the province of Quebec, specifically the town of St. Jerome. Thank you so much, Luke, for supporting us from that most French of Canadian provinces. Charles, I'm going to pass this shout-out microphone right over to you. Oh, thank you, Eric. <clears throat> Let's start off with a warm greeting to Val Gillian, Gillen from Indiana. A welcome to Ava Stone from North Texas. Top fan, Tammy Franklin Allen from Florida. Welcome, top fan. And welcome to Chris Braun, Ohio. David, who's on your list? Is this thing on? Of course it is. Of course it is. It always is. (laughs) No, I can't hear a thing. (laughs) Hey, Pete from all around the world. Uh, I want to say a warm thank you to Joe Bruno from Roadburg, Oregon. Uh, Top fan, a warm welcome to Jerry Taylor from Portland, Oregon. Uh, Right in our hometown. And... uh, I want to say another warm welcome to Donna Good from Oklahoma, USA. Last on my list is another warm welcome to Michael Robin from Iowa. Paul, who's on your list? All right, brother. Well, you know, uh, leave the domestic sphere and uh, travel abroad for a little bit. First of all, I'd like to say hello to top fan Nigel Gray, who says hello to us from Merseyside in the United Kingdom. And if uh, Merseyside is uh, new to you, uh, perhaps you uh, it's a county and you may know it by its more familiar uh big destination liverpool yeah so basically that's the adjoining county there in uh, northwest england right next to uh, manchester and lancashire so wonderful place to hang your hat and be a star trek fan nigel thanks for tuning in and being a fan of uh, our facebook and our show so thank you so much uh you might have to get on an airplane to visit our next fan it's uh, sharif shaham who is saying hello to us from dhaka bangladesh Absolutely amazing. Uh, Bangladesh is, of course, on the uh, Bay of Bengal, uh, about right in between uh, India proper and Myanmar, just uh, south of Bhutan. So amazing part of the world there. If you squint, you can see Tibet to the north. So if it's a clear day and not a cloudy day. But thank you so much for reaching out to us, uh, Sharif. It's wonderful to hear from you. You live in a fascinating and exciting part of the world. We are now going to get back on our plane and head south uh, to incredible South America. Uh, First of all, I'd like to say hello to top fan Alexandre Braulio Roldan, who says hello to us from Sao Paulo uh, in Brazil. 
Absolutely amazing. And ladies, if you're looking to find yourself a rich husband, I would recommend that you go to Sao Paulo because that is Brazil's most vibrant financial center. And it is one of the most populous cities in the world. And it's full of rather affluent individuals who can show you a very good time. So uh, amazing place to live. uh, Amazing place uh, if you're into uh, the financial realm, regardless of your gender. definitely make it one of your stops. And then finally for me, not too far afield, um, it is a pleasure to say hello to Hatake Motoko, who is saying hello from Avellaneda in Buenos Aires, Argentina. Absolutely amazing. Uh, just across the bay from Montevideo in Uruguay. Amazing spot. Um, I have never had the pleasure of going to Argentina myself, but I have recently become a massive fan of Argentinian wine. Uh, in particular, some of the Malbecs that are grown there. And wow, that is, uh, I, I understand there are some truly legendary steakhouses in Argentina that are like considered to be the greatest on the planet. So that's kind of on my bucket list is find out one of the top two or three Argentinian steakhouses and just, you know, do it up the way it's supposed to be done. So maybe when I do that, I'll get a chance to rub elbows with you, Hitake, because uh, if I was living down there, I can't imagine I'd ever want to leave. So. <laughs> Nice to be able to traverse all the different uh, Federation uh, land, la- longitudes and latitudes with our international fans. And uh, let me pass this uh, zany uh, uh, mic over to Uncle Jim. Jim, take it away. Well, we're going to spin the globe right back here to the U.S. of A. And we're going to say hello and kapla to top fan, Judy, Judy DeChant, who says she's a Trekkie for life living in Tennessee little smiley face emoji, and a waving American flag. So thank you to Judy for listening in uh, Tennessee. We also have another top fan, Stacy Boning, who says she's listening in Metro St. Louis area in Missouri. Thank you so much, Stacy. And guess what? Another top fan, Zach Reyes, who's listening to us in Palm Springs, California. And last but not least, I want to say thank you and kapla. To Mark Wickland, who's listening to us in Minnesota, U.S. of A. And that wraps up our fan shout-outs for this week, guys. Head on over to our Facebook page and uh, tell us where you're from. Leave some emojis and look for Heart Next to Your Name from Uncle Jim, and you'll be mentioned on a future fan shout-out. And don't forget, you can become a top fan, and one easy way to do that is to answer our questions. Every week when a new episode airs, usually around coffee break time on Friday, I'll put up a question and ask you to score this week's episode on a scale of 1 to 10. But since there's no new Star Trek episodes, I've been going back and posting the same question for old episodes. In this case, I asked our Facebook fans what they thought about the Discovery first season, episode 3, Context is for Kings. And I asked our Facebook fans to score it on a scale of 1 to 10, with 10 being the best. And Eric, what did our Facebook fans have to say about Context is for King? Well, Jim, top fan Johnny Gold 7 gave it a 10. Jason Isaacs was top class. The first few episodes of Discovery were great. Top fan Dan Caravallo said, a high point of Discovery for me. Lorca was an intriguing villain-slash-hero and could have easily been around for more seasons, a solid nine. 
Dino Monzo gave it a 10. It finally introduced the USS Discovery and Captain Gabriel Lorca, who quickly made his mark as a CO different from James T. Kirk. His being a brilliant tactician was perfect given the series wartime scenario. Rhonda Karen said it was a 10. This episode got me hooked on Discovery. It was wave, I was wavering and trying to stick with it. Then Jason Isaacs appeared, and I was hooked. The last season broke the connection for me, however. Mariella Barrera gave it a 10. Jason Isaacs, no need to say more. Three heart emojis on that one. Top fan Jorge Williams said, gets a six purely for Lorca, otherwise a two. Wilson Sam said 10. Actually, I'm currently re-watching the first season of Discovery, Great stuff with some hands clapping. Dustin S. Wing gave it a 7. Would have been better as the first episode telling the backstory of how Burnham got there in the past tense later in the season. Interesting, Dustin. Top fan Wayne Bowes said 1 because Discovery is not Star Trek. And Derek Laney said 2. Burnham is a terrible character played by a bad actress. Lorca was okay, but they didn't use him well. Also, the story was stupid. That gave us this week, guys, a fan score of 7.5. But there's a lot of 10s tucked in there, I believe. So, are you ready to talk about it? All right, then. Everybody ready? Yes, sir. Let's fly. And you know what what Michael Burnham says? What does Michael Burnham say, Eric? Cake is Is eternal. eternal. It's true. That's right. She said that. She absolutely said that. So what do you say we talk about context is for kings? And do it. You know, this brings back such fond memories uh, for me because trying to figure out what the deal was with Lorca. You guys remember the fun we had with that? Um, you know, mm-hmm. we knew something was wrong with Lorca because he had a Tribble on his desk and Tribbles hadn't been introduced yet. He had a Gorn skeleton in his torture chamber and the Gorn hadn't come in yet. <laughs> he was just a very mysterious character and not your typical Starfleet captain, as some of our fans had mentioned. He definitely was a Captain Kirk. And we couldn't figure it out. And so we, we had so much fun postulating and theorizing, what is Lorca's deal? And uh, yeah, none of us, none of us came up with that answer <laughs> at all. <laughs> um, he had a you know problem with his eyes. He was giving himself injections in his eyeballs, which had to hurt. Um, yeah, we, we never figured that one out, but we had so much fun talking about it every week and this was the episode i think that started it all because the first two episodes were basically setting the story up and this is the this is where we see the discovery we meet Lorca, uh we we meet the crew and uh, michael starts her, her journey that she goes on in this episode we get to meet billy um who i think is definitely a fan favorite 
bars, and it was just a lot of fun. It was a lot of fun to go on the journey, and I go back and watch the whole first season again, and I loved it. I had so much fun watching it. I forgot all those little things that we had talked about on the podcast. I'm just excited to talk with you guys about it. So who wants to start? Who wants to jump in here and uh, start with the context is for uh, well, I'm I'm happy to. I've been I've been bringing up the caboose lately, so maybe I'll leave the caboose for somebody else. So I and I won't. I promise not to cover everything, guys. Um, but I'll just say that this was uh, such a interesting episode for me because I think I both loved parts of it, and then there were significant parts of this episode that I just didn't really care for at all. Um, you know, so. First of all, at the very beginning, we get the shuttle scene. And I do love the shuttle scene because it's very clear as they're chatting amongst themselves that Michael knows exactly how many people um, died on the Europa. And that, to me, tells me that she's in a mental headspace where, you know, she's thinking about uh, what's just happened. And I think some people will get a little down on Michael Burnham at the beginning, but uh, when you look at the position that she was put in um, where – she is uh, making decisions that she thinks are right, uh, and then they turn out not to be right, and things kind of spiral out of control. And regardless of what the c- turnout is of everything, she does the Starfleet thing, which is she takes responsibility for her actions. And so er- this whole episode is framed you know, from that context. Michael Burnham wants to take responsibility for her actions. She wants to be on the prison shuttle. She wants to go pay for what she's done, et cetera, et cetera. And I think that kind of shows up as a theme throughout the whole episode, which I really like because I, that feels very Starfleet to me. Um, it did kind of bother me at the beginning, I think, when I first saw these first few episodes that it took until episode three to see the main uh, view of the discovery, you know, how we always get that wonderful flyby of our ships every time we we enter a new era of Star Trek, and um, rather than it being like Scotty escorting Kirk or, uh, you know, the shuttle around Deep Space Nine or whatever, here it takes till episode three for the Discovery to save Michael Burnham's shuttle, and we kind of get the same sort of view, and it's a beautiful shot, and I think this is kind of the moment when I I say to myself, wow, um, you know, they've really done a lot with... uh, graphics and computers and just the representation of starships in, in Star Trek. And I, so from a looks and a cinematic standpoint, uh, it really comes home for me when we finally get to see the discovery. Um, when she gets on board the discovery, I think one of the things that maybe turned people off at the very beginning was that was Landry. Like, quite honestly, right from the get-go, she's super rude. She calls the prisoners garbage when they come on the the Discovery. She says something to Michael about Vulcans should stick to logic. So she's obviously got kind of a, a racist undertone to her whole uh, person. And that doesn't feel very Star Trek. And, you know, later when you sort of find out what her deal is, okay, it all makes sense. But when that's being presented as this is Star Trek aboard a new and risky and experimental starship, you're kind of like, whoa, what's happening? So I definitely like her as a character more upon multiple viewings than I did right when I first saw her because I really was like, whoa, this is this is turning me off. 
I can't remember if we talked about this at the beginning or not uh, when we first saw this, but the two colored badges, are those guys Section 31 or are they like Makos, like from back in the Enterprise yeah. days? I, I, I think they are Section 31. Section 31. Yeah. Because they talk about like when the, 31. Yeah. when the prisoners come on, there's like, has anyone ever seen a black badge before, right? The, that one comment that gets made. Yeah, and they look a little different because they're kind of like half black and half gold, whereas later our Section 31 badges are all black. So I guess yeah, that's Yeah, I, I think that meant question. to be Section 31. That was what I saw from it. So maybe they just changed and, the and design of the badges or something. Something we didn't talk about, Eric, was that uh, did Lorca surround himself with his his mirror universe counterparts on the discovery like we know Landry was there we know he brought Michael Burnham aboard um, I, and was there I wonder how many people of the crew he actually went in the out and found and brought there um, I, I think that's an a, excellent question I also think that you know if these guys were section 31 or makos or whatever they kind of have that mentality of they will follow a strong leader you know into the void and gabriel Lorca absolutely comes across as like i am a general and you will listen to my words and you will do what i say and so i you know yeah whether they were actually his dudes or not from the uh darn it what's the name of that ship the Burnham. The brand. Burnham. Sure. Brand, yeah, yep. yeah. Um, or not, you know, they certainly they were willing to follow him uh, just about anywhere. Um, okay, I want to. I'm going to speed up so I don't take too much time. Uh, things that are cheap. Well, okay, no. Other things I liked. Tilly, amazing. I'll let you guys talk more about her. The whole roommate thing is just uh, endearing, and I absolutely love it. I love it when Michael sees Saru for the first time, and their interactions in this episode, especially where Saru tells her that he intends to take care of his captain better than <laughs> Burnham took care of hers. I mean, that's just like a a stab to the heart right there, but undeserved. And so to me, that uh, kind of speaks to their closeness. Um, you know, like closeness in their rivalry at this point in the story. I mean, they haven't grown, grown close yet, as they will over the next season or two. Um, but still, uh, there's a rivalry there, and you can feel it, and they respect one another, if nothing else. Breath scans, cheesy, dumb. I hated the breath scans, absolutely. Um, I love Stamets, right from the beginning. I was like, first of all, I love him as an actor from back in the Rent days, and then his saltiness his snark, his hate for Lorca because Lorca actually took his technology and turned it to war efforts, I think, really comes through in this episode, and I really appreciate that about Stamets' character, because he's just a guy who's doing research and, you know, exploring the mysteries of the universe, which is what Star Trek is all about, and here's Lorca co-opting things and trying to weaponize it. So, um, you know, he hates Lorca with good reason. Two-thirds of the way through the episode, we get the alien-style uh, tardigrade stuff. Don't care for that, honestly. Didn't love it. Probably my least favorite part of the whole episode, but I'll let you guys talk a little bit more about that because I do think it is an important part of the story and eventually kind of gets resolved in later episodes. And then uh, I guess the last thing I'll say is I love the title of this episode, Context is for Kings. Um, that thing that Lorca says, you know, when he's like... Uh, Universal law applies to lackeys or underlings, and um, you know, co the context is for kings. That's kind of like a – it's such a double-edged thing that he says because the idea, I think, is that you know, given the right context, 
whoever's in charge can get away with whatever they need to get away with to achieve whatever it is. And Marcus yeah. says something in this episode about it. Uh, he will use, what does he say? He says, I'll use the some things at my disposal to achieve my mission or something. Yeah, he's a total Machiavellian. I mean, he is. He's he a total really Machiavellian. Is. It's like whatever justifies, he's got, I have a big picture goal yeah. and I will do whatever I need to do to get that done. And if you don't agree with me, well, you're going to meet the bottom of my shoe. So it's honestly a little disappointing to me that we didn't see his deal a little bit sooner because he clearly does not come across as a Starfleet kind of guy right from the get-go. But I think what we had in our mind's eye when we were watching this was the only other big precedent that we had, which was the Dominion War from Deep Space Nine days. And the big difference there is that you know, Deep Space Nine develops over the course of several seasons, and you get to know the characters, and you get to love the characters before they're thrust into war. And so you really care about what's happening to them. Like, you care when Nog loses his leg, right? Because you've had several seasons of Nog, and you've seen him grow and all this stuff. And you care about Kira because of her connections and whatever. Here, we're thrust right into war right from the beginning. We haven't had a chance to see the characters developed at all. And so we're getting a little bit of character development while we're getting the context of the war. And I think, I think that just gave Discovery a little bit of a rough start right from the beginning. I loved this show right from the beginning. Um, this episode in particular I think is really good overall despite a few of its shortcomings like breath scanning. <laughs> but, <laughs> but, uh, but generally speaking, it's got a lot of um, – it's got character development – but it's got this war context that I think is a little hard for some people to follow. So um, anyway, I meant for that to be short. I said an awful lot, uh, but overall, I really you did, did like this You episode. stole all the thunder. I can't no, believe I didn't. it. No, there's more. <laughs> there's absolutely more thunder in that. Well, we could talk. We can always. I mean, yeah. Let's keep. Let's not, we don't have to like keep it like yeah. one guy at a time, right? We can yeah. all kind of chime in and stuff. Yeah. I mean, I just have a little Absolutely. bit of stuff I want to. I would like to to talk about on here. Mm -hmm. um, uh, um, I really dig this era of discovery a lot. Um, I, I I do think it's weird the way they started this show off with the two prior episodes, right? That really were like you know almost like if this was the way that Ron Moore did Battlestar Galactica, all that mm -hmm. stuff with her would have been like a a prequel movie that you'd get in the middle of season two. <laughs> you would not have started the series that way, right? I mean, it wasn't necessary, really. It's just, it, it's, it's super clear what the situation is, right? And it's almost more badass just to have the show start with uh, Michael Burnham being brought in all hard case with a bunch of prisoners. Oh, you're the mutineer? Wow. I mean, it's just that you immediately want to know more about her as a result of that introduction, right? I mean, it's really cool. And they could have gotten away with a few flashbacks, but I think that that kind of being married to linear storytelling, eh, I don't think that really helped them. I think they lost a lot of people because once this starts and once this episode gets in there, you're really getting into it, which is cool. And a huge, huge reason for that, I think, is Jason Isaacs, is I think when they, uh, you know... I, I would have loved to, I mean, if Michael Burnham's going to become captain, I would have liked to have seen that happen later on in the development of the series, uh, much further down. I would have loved to have had like at least two solid seasons of Lorca, at least, because that's a fascinating character. He's super morally ambiguous. You don't necessarily hate the guy, 
But you, do you trust him? Not so much. I mean, he's, you know, without getting into all of his spoiler background yeah. stuff, because we're going in sequential order here. We don't know any of that stuff yet here. Spoiler so alert. He's a mystery, right? <laughs> and he's, a, he's such a cool actor. You know, this is the guy who was, you know, Lucius Malfoy in the Harry Potter movies, right? He can play menace and, you know, uh, shades of gray better than anybody. The guy's just tremendous. So I thought he was really, really cool and uh, brought a great dynamic to it. Um, how about that badass fight scene in the mess hall, though? <laughs> when uh, <laughs> Vulcan when, martial uh, arts. Oh, yeah. She uh, she pulls out the uh, the Vulcan martial arts there. And she's yeah. like, anytime. He's it's about just, to you get know, that it, guy in the neck just when she gets stopped. Yeah. Total aliens <laughs> moment, right? It's total aliens <laughs> moment where she's like wailing on people with the, you know, metal, you know, cafeteria tray. I'm just like, it's great. So I thought that was really cool. Good action moments and, and all that. I really dug uh, Landry also because she's super inappropriate, right? And because she's the security officer, she can get away with it. You're like, oh, she's just a badass. I get it, right? You're just totally willing to like forgive her, you know, uh, less than a- appropriate comments because she's, you know, obviously going to just kick all kinds of ass as a security officer. So I really liked um, the introduction of her and Isaacs and the fact that they, they clearly seem to have a past together and and Tilly in this episode is just great uh, the way Eric said it's so interesting the character really has changed a lot since this initial introduction she's very shy and self-conscious at first and uh, the whole you know roommates bit is just great right I mean they're back at like it's kind of what you would expect from like a Starfleet Academy dynamic right where she's mm-hmm. just like oh you're gonna be my roommate oh the only Michael female I've ever known named Michael is the mutineer Michael Burnham you're not her yeah I mean that's just a nice little scene and again I think it's more powerful if that would have been the first episode we saw and we didn't have a lot of stuff beforehand I think it would have really gotten people super intrigued um so I'm with Eric for the most part on here uh as far as uh, general opinions, I think when they started uh, cobbling off of aliens with the tardigrade escape and going through <laughs> air ducts, I'm like, all right, my attention just wanders immediately. It's like we've done all that stuff before. Yeah. I, I'm ready for another long Anthony Rapp scene as Paul Stamets because that guy kiss kicks ass. He's great. He's super entertaining. When he starts going off about, yeah, well, you know, my whoever it was, my uncle plays in a you know Beatles cover band. That <laughs> doesn't make him a Beatle. It doesn't make him a beetle, right? It was just, he's just such a, he's totally, but he's just, you know, he's tortured and he's passionate. And we haven't even gotten into his sexual identity at this point at all. And he's just absolutely, you want more of that character done and done. I mean, he's just really, really cool. He's a super charismatic guy. I like when they cast these people who have a strong theater background. Um, it really is great. And then uh, somebody in the, you know, no offense fan comments, but somebody really dissed on Sonequa Martin-Green, and I just think that's, uh, I got to call bullshit. I just think she's great. Um, really super talented actress. I think they've let her run well, a bit wild in the emotions department in the latter seasons of Discovery, which has hurt the show and hurt her a little bit. Because sometimes you can emote so much, it's like you need a director to say, dial it down. But her scenes where she's really shut off and not showing anything and being the prisoner, but still trying to adhere to, okay, I'm in Starfleet, so I have to act accountable. I'll be accountable for my actions, right? Even though she's being sent to prison for life, it's like, good Lord. I mean, she really is still, you know, trying to uphold a code, which is great. And that first couple of dialogue scenes, like uh, I think it's the one with the blueberries with Saru, really great. I mean, already they have, they, they can't, he can't get rid of his affection for her. 
no matter what, right? He's still fond of her despite everything. He's not ready to trust her again yet, but maybe that's coming. And the fact that there's that sense of, you know, a, a developing, re-emerging relationship made that really cool because Doug Jones is awesome. He's just great. So, I mean, a really good cast in here. Um, I think one of the things they keep doing on this show is keep adding people, right? And then they don't really give the established folks a chance to really rock themselves out right and like and we haven't even met ash tyler yet in this point right and so it's like oh here's a new character and what's going on there and it's just so weird to me <laughs> to see to see stamets without his you know uh his partner it's like you know where's the doctor man it's like you forget that he wasn't always there so it's it's kind of wild to revisit these early episodes but i think this is a pretty entertaining uh, tardigrade chase in the air vents aside uh, pretty damn good episode, though. All for the life of me, can't remember if they did anything else beyond that first establishing scene with uh, Lorca needing to move in and out of brightly lit rooms slowly because of his eyes. I think they wrote that to be, uh, you know, make him mysterious, but then they never followed through with it. I don't think in subsequent episodes that much, at least not on a regular basis. So, well, but it was like new. It turned out to be like new canon that people from the mirror universe had this issue. And so it was kind of a weird thing to introduce it. And then it, it to not be something that was necessarily tied to anything previous. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. I think it would gotten in the way of like convenient, brisk storytelling. So they just dropped it. Yeah. It was like, it was like a red herring that we didn't have any context for. Yeah. (laughs) It's like Saru's, Saru's ganglia, right? They went nuts with that for a couple episodes and then they're like, well, we can't always have his ganglia popping out every five seconds. Oh, just forget we did that. Right. And they, Hey, I know. Let's bring on a new character. Yeah, cool. And so this, this guy, this this book guy, right? And so they kind of get into that dynamic. I think there's a lot of impulse control in the writers' room on Discovery. Would be my guess. I mean, I think they do a generally really good job, but they don't stick with a thing for very long. And they go off and well, find we, a new squirrel to get distracted by. Actually, it was season two is why we lost the Gangula. Because that was part of the progression, right? His little evolution thing. Yeah, but you yeah. can see they're writing that out because it's awkward, right? It's like, how do we yeah. get rid of this thing? <laughs> it's yeah. kind of a pain in the ass for us to always well, be they, doing it. Well, it did feel like one of those things up front, Paul. I agree with you. Where they remember they sort of made it for the trailer, I think, because there was that whole like I sense the coming of death thing that they put in the the early trailers for Discovery that I think made it all very like dramatic, you know. Yeah, but, yeah. But, but they couldn't keep it up. Are you saying they were shooting for the trailer and not for the actual ah, replay? It wasn't fully written yet? Uh, uh, no one would ever do that. But, uh, <laughs> but yeah, I, I think this show uh, uh, gets a bad rap, right? I mean, there's things I think that are imperfect about Discovery. Um, uh, I think their last season ended really strongly, and I'm really hopeful for uh, the final season of this show. But uh, they often, uh, you know... Uh, they're just all over the place sometimes. And man, I just wish they'd kept Isaacs. I wish they'd kept that dynamic and that ambiguity and really have to make the, I would have liked an arc. I mean, it's just me, right? You know, my own kind of preference for things, but I would have liked an arc for Michael Burnham that took all series long to make captain. And she didn't make captain until the very end of the last season. To me, that would have been a badass arc you know, where she's constantly kind of dealing with, you know, the, the duality of her circumstances and how she was raised. And I think stuff like that would have been really, really interesting. Totally other show, not not show we got, but I think that would have been more interesting. Um, I just love Jason Isaacs, man. I think he's great. And I love the uniforms 
in the first couple seasons. Those blue unis with the piping, man, is super cool. This is a really well-designed show. Everything looks really great. And I don't think that the show gets the credit it deserves for how many cool starships they've introduced over the years. Um, that shuttle is badass with that round port at the back. That's really cool. So I've talked enough. I'm sorry for uh, letting my enthusiasm get the better of me. You can talk. You're allowed to talk. I, I, you know what? I think that a lot of Star Trek fans uh, are too quick to judge and they don't give the, the story enough time to unfold. Like, there were a lot of fans that turned it off immediately because Michael Burnham committed a mutiny and Kirk said in episode three of the first season of TOS, there's never been a mutiny on a starship. Therefore it's not Star Trek and they turn it off. And that happens a lot in discovery and people don't give the story enough time to play out and find out what it's all about, you know, because discovery, like you said, it was a story arc. It was, serial telling story. So you have to give it a chance to unfold. You can't be quick to judge. And too many fans, I think, are. You know, like, for instance, a Tribble on Lorca's desk. How many fans were twitched over that? You know? Um, or, <laughs> David's like, it was like heaven. <laughs> <laughs> but you're absolutely right, Jim, is we see that a lot. And, you know, and not just Star Trek, too. I yeah. mean, I'm, I'm yeah. very big in the Star Wars fan community also. And I think people have such a knee-jerk uh, vibe when something is new and it kind of threatens what they think is established, right? Where they're, And I know it can be controversial to say this, but where they cling on to canon so hard. Right. That it's just like, you know, it's kind of like some kind of weird, you know, perpetual monogamy or something. I don't get it. But it's just like when something comes that sort of is different and is willing to like maybe say maybe canon doesn't have to be as tightly wrapped as we think and go off and do a different thing. It's just everyone freaks out because it's not like we're, you know, peeing on the Bible. Right. Or, you know, uh, doing something to the Talmud. I mean, that's not what's going on. We're just trying to do something new to a franchise that's been telling the same story over and over and over. (laughs) for like 40 years, right? It's like, give these guys some, uh, you know, some elbow room for crying out loud. So, And I think yeah. Discovery uh, really, uh, it's cut fans' teeth on something new, something different, and something unique. And I, I, I love Discovery for that. And like, we haven't even talked yet, you said, we haven't talked about Culver because we don't meet him just quite yet. So at this point, Stamets is just the mushroom guy. You know, we haven't, we haven't AKA gotten a fun guy, you know, he's just a, an arrogant mushroom guy, <laughs> face mushrooms. <laughs> but, but you're right though, Paul, when, when you change something that people think is etched in stone, their knee jerk reaction is turn it off. I hate it. And, yeah, uh, I'm threatened by that. It. It's like, you know, I can't drive an electric car. What are you talking about? All right. I mean, you know, and it's, it's weird because uh, people sometimes fear change, right? I mean, uh, I don't know. I mean, you're probably as old as I am, Jim. So you remember the days before direct deposit, right? Where you'd get oh. a physical paycheck and they had to take your check to the bank and deposit it, right? And now can you even imagine doing that? I, I, I don't no. I, It's ridiculous. It's like, of course you want your check as fast as possible as you get direct deposit. But it's just kind of the same thing. It's just like there's a resistance to change and the, the being threatened by the unfamiliar. And I think if there's a, a through-line ethic through Star Trek, it should be don't be threatened by the unknown. 
curious about it, but don't run away from it. So it's, I feel like a lot of times the fan community is kind of violating the ethos of Star Trek's curiosity mandate by being so reactive to it. Yeah, and if you look at Discovery, like when I went back and watched the, the Vulcan Hello and Battle of the Binary Stars, I, I couldn't, I tell you the truth, I couldn't stop. I ended up watching all of season one because I got so re-engaged in it, which I hadn't done since we watched them for the podcast originally. And when, when I went back and watched them, I realized just how good season one really was. And I think Jason Isaacs is a big, big part of that, a huge part of that. And Michelle Yeoh, of course, when she kicks Lorca in the face, and he's behind her. Oh, my God. How many times do I watch that? Uh, we have some great actors on Star Trek. You know, Doug Jones, Jason Isaacs, you know, Sonequa Martin-Green, you know, Mary Wiseman. They're, they're awesome actors, and they bring all that skill and all that talent to the table, and we get to enjoy it every week on Star Trek. We're very lucky fans to have uh, people like that on our shows. And and also, the way they structured season one, when we find out, well, I don't think it's a spoiler alert, it was 2017, but spoiler alert if you haven't seen it, when we find out that Lorca's from the Mirror Universe, that whole, that thing, and they come back to the future, or uh, back to our... Um, Marty, we've got to hurry up! <laughs> 80 miles per hour! Great, 121 gigawatts, Marty! <laughs> and, you know, the crew has been completely destroyed because they were betrayed by their captain, and they're, they're a crushed crew at that point in time. They don't trust Starfleet. They don't, they've lost all their confidence. And who do they bring in to restore their confidence in Season 2? The man, the myth, the legend, Anson Mount, Captain Pike. <laughs> I fell in love with that guy right away. So, the way the season progresses, they're setting everything up in advance. They have to get to play out. That's, you know, that's all I can say about it. It's just, it's fun. Oh, what about something that they kind of got away from a little bit? But every time the Discovery uh, went into black alert, do you guys remember the, the saucer section spinning in opposite directions? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And they, they, they would zoom in on that, I don't know what it's called, that, that arm that goes over the top, and you would see the outer section of the hull spinning one way and the inner section spinning the other, and the whole ship would, would spin around and disappear and then reappear. They kind of got away from that effect, but I loved it every time they did it. I was like, that is so cool with the way they black alerted or whatever, you, uh, or drive jumped. I thought that was really awesome. And another thing that, that we didn't catch, we talked about it, but we never made the connections, guys. We weren't sharp enough. But when Lorca puts Michael Burnham in the spore drive canister and the spores take her to all these different places, the spores take her to places that the Federation hadn't discovered yet. And uh, the mm, That's Lorca not did. true. They went to Andoria. They went to the moons of Andoria. I mean... Well, they went to Romulan, They went, and uh, we hadn't met them yet, but, you know, Lorca and the Mirror Universe. There, there was a lot of hints there if we caught them, but we, we, we didn't, <laughs> which is mm-hmm. fine, I guess. 
Mm-hmm. But overall, I thought this was a great episode. The Saru the, the with the with the blueberries. Uh, we get to meet. Uh, well, we didn't get to meet. No, we didn't meet Stamets until the very not Stamets Culber until the very end. But even then, when they're brushing their teeth in the mirror and they walk away from the mirror and Stamets reflection is still. Episode. Yeah. That was kind of a hint that we're going to the mirror universe, kind of, hmm. in a you know indirect mm, way. Yep. Yeah, it could have been, but overall, I thought it was a great episode. I enjoyed it immensely, and uh, yeah. What, what about you? What, what did you think, David? Well, speaking David of that triple, <laughs> David wasn't with us when we started reviewing. Uh, the first I don't think I was, but no. I kind of came in more at the end. Yeah, you came in at the end, so I'm kind of interested to, to get your take on it. So I kind of, it's kind of interesting to think that uh, what you said, Jim, about Lorca bringing all that stuff that he had in his Captain Quarters from the Mirror Universe. So if that was true, does that mean all the Tribbles were neutered? Because if that thing was still alive and able to reproduce. They would be having another K7 station situation. <laughs> but um... Yeah, I mean, I, I think that's a good question, David, actually, if you want to get into the Tribble discussion, because my understanding is that Mirror Universe Tribbles are actually way meaner, and those things <laughs> absolutely were very docile, and so they were like Prime Universe Tribbles yeah. uh, or, or, you know, seriously altered Mirror Universe Tribbles. Yeah. But other than that, um, I really did enjoy the first season of Star Trek Discovery and the second season. Um, it did turn me off quite a bit throughout the whole two seasons that I've seen um, where they were just constantly... Uh, I, I don't know. It was just a narrative, I guess, of it, which is kind of... Uh, I don't know. The, the writing, yeah, they they used over and over and over again. That that kind of turned me off, and it was just the idea that, uh, what's the word? The, I'm not even sure what it's called, but it's something about it that had something to do with the character development of some of the characters. I mean, yeah, they kept bringing in more people, and it was just like, okay, that's somebody else we have to learn who it is, and they never really introduced their name. I had no idea where a lot of the characters' names were until I saw their names on the subtitle, and I was like, okay. But they never introduced them, so I was like, okay. That, uh, I, I, I couldn't care less about that. Yeah, I mean, now. like, David, we get Bryce as the shuttle pilot in this one, right? But we yeah. had no idea that he was actually an officer on the Discovery. Yeah, exactly. It was just like, okay, well, that's that's so and so. But uh, as far yep. as the acting Season goes, two. yeah, as far as the acting goes, it was okay. I mean, I'm, I don't know, it was okay. I could put to me overall. I, when I started watching Discovery, I didn't really actually watch it, watch it like every week. So overall, when I started getting onto a podcast with you guys, I can't remember where it was in Discovery I came in at, but um. I had to go back and rewatch some of the new, uh, some of the uh, uh, older seasons, just so that I could like figure out what exactly was going on, so I could kind of like you know portray my opinion on here. But to me, it was just kind of like it t- took a while. It definitely took a while for me to 
kind of like get used to the new track, I guess you could call it. But to me, it was, it's still not one of my favorite series, but it's okay. I enjoy it for what it is, but it's not something I would kind of like rewatch over and over again. But yeah, so. You know what, David? David, can I can I introduce a term that I use here at home that I think other people use out there in the Star Trek community, which is comfort trek. And I don't think that Star Trek Discovery necessarily falls into that comfort trek. And what I mean by comfort trek is, let's yeah. say that you've got an extra hour off on a Saturday afternoon and it's raining outside and it's cold and you're just going to sit down and like spend an hour watching television. Um, you're not going to pull up necessarily an episode of Star Trek Discovery. And I think some of that has to do with its serial storytelling nature, you know, unless you're very familiar with the story, you're not going to insert yourself into the middle of the story somewhere and just pull out your favorite episode necessarily. But it also has something to do with the fact that it is an emotionally intense show. And not that not that like other Star Trek isn't emotionally intense, but also when you're looking for comfort, you're not going to necessarily pull out the drum head every time or, you know, there are plenty mm-hmm. of episodes of old Star Trek that you'll just sit down and kind of like have on to have on. And it just makes you feel good because it's a little maybe nostalgic and it's got a pretty good story and, you know, you like the characters and all this kind of stuff. Discovery is a little bit different. It takes more mental effort to sit down and watch it and to really absorb it the way that it means uh, it, it's meant to be absorbed, I think. Yeah, that's what I had to do for the second rerun, the third rerun, fourth rerun. I can't remember how many times I watched it, but <laughs> the thing is, is that uh, when it comes to canon, I actually have to say this, is that when Uncle Jim mentioned, you know, like Captain Cook mentioned that there was no mutiny ever before on a starship, I would have to disagree with that comment because the idea that when it comes to canon, going from series to series, especially when it's written like, you know, way before Star Trek even had a canon. So the idea was, in my mind, the way the, the reason why Captain Kirk had said this was probably he didn't get all, he doesn't know all of the ships and the history of what has happened and what's gone on, you know. I mean, heck, Section 31 was around, apparently now, with his new Star Trek. Uh, Section 31 was already around Captain Kirk's days. So there could have been a whole lot of things that Captain Kirk never even knew about. So to me, when he said that, that's only for his narrow view of knowledge that he has in his so-called canon. So to me, a mutiny could have totally took place in Discovery, even, you know, 20 years before Kirk, and it could still not show up in the records. Just like Discovery itself, you know, it was never actually in the record because of, like, spoiler alert, Discovery went to the future, right? So everybody just kind of, like, had a strict knowledge of what, about Discovery, and it was, like, kind of like in Las Vegas, you know? What well, happened let me in Las throw Vegas this out there, though, man. I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but um, isn't it in the Tholian web where Spock says there's never been a mutiny on a starship, right? Spock. Right? Who, who actually <laughs> need himself. And dude, this is Michael Burnham's yeah. stepbrother, okay? Yeah. It's just like, and Michael Burnham committed mutiny, and yeah. Spock, her stepbrother, doesn't know about it. And here's my point, and I, yeah. I say this a lot, and everyone's like, oh, deflating my party. But <laughs> it is a television show. And, I, and I'm here to tell you, gentlemen, 
in the 60s when they did the original series, nobody knew what the hell canon was. Mm-hmm. Nobody cared because you, you would do what you needed to do your, your story. And regardless, if, if something contradicted, write a check. That is that is the way Hollywood works. Nobody gives a hoot and holler about that. Now, of course, it's like a different thing, right? And it goes, all right, there's canon. But if it's a good story, canon is something that is swept aside out of convenience and moved away cleverly if you can. But it's 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 not reality. It never will be reality. Don't get too hung up on it. That's just what I do. I enjoy my, my entertainment way more, not, not being married to canon. Okay, so can I counteract that? Um, Please do, absolutely. Didn't Spock in Discovery before Kirk also swore that he would never say anything about Discovery? So that line that he said in Kirk, could that have been because he had sworn a secrecy to Discovery? Sure. So that may have never happened. And as far as canon goes, I'm pretty sure they had an idea of what canon could have been back in even in the 60s. I mean, they, when Gene Roddenberry was writing all this stuff out, I'm pretty sure he didn't, like, say this was going to happen in this episode, and then, like, next season, all of a sudden, it completely was flipped around, you know, 180 degrees. But to me, I the way I see it, it's just that what – I, I actually kind of like what they did in Discovery when Discovery went to the future and everybody had to lock their – you know, strict talks about it and everything. So publishing things got out of hand and everything. But I'm just saying, you know, when Spock swore to never say anything about Discovery, maybe that's why the line and uh, Kirk made sense. So I don't know. <laughs> well, how about you? How about you, <laughs> Well, I made sure with all the runnings that I got notes written down. We talked about the controversy I think it's going on with Star Trek. But we forgot the biggest controversy that went on with Discovery. Discovery was, Wait, was the a... first Star Trek series. First Star Trek series to be streamed. People had to pay to watch it. So that was another thing we talked about, the fact that people were upset. Like, I'm not paying to watch Star Trek. We did talk about that quite a lot, Charles, and we talked yeah, about yeah, the, we rel- the relative value of what I believe was six bucks a month at the time, um, paying that to watch your Star Trek. Yeah. And whether or not a buck fifteen yep, exactly. episode was worth it. Yeah. And as we chat a little bit in chat, on Michael and the prison shuttle, when we see Michael not caring, we saw a lot more of the Vulcan side of her. That's something that's kind of faded away a little bit, too. We saw much more of her Vulcan side in there. Yeah, and Charles, can I just add something to that, which is that um, sure. so in those first couple episodes, you get the – you also get like the – well, in the first episode, you get the straight-haired Michael, which to me is the yeah. – um, like one way that that – there are multiple readings for that, I think. <laughs> so I'm going to give you one reading right. of that. One reading of that is that that is the formal Vulcan 100% logical Michael Burnham. And as she kind of like reacquaints herself with her human side, her – one of – like her hairstyle changes and granted I'm getting into territory here, which is a little bit loaded because there's a lot of stuff about black women and their hair. And, and I think that's an oh important my discussion and I'm certainly not qualified to discuss that stuff. 
controversy of me getting in trouble for posting well, the picture and, of her, you know. <laughs> but it was good, Jim, because what it did was it taught us a little bit more about um, about those discussions. But yes, absolutely, that was that was an interesting scenario when it happened. And so to me, in this episode, we see her like on the shuttle, and she's got the curly hair now, and so she's it's like the um, the Vulcan conditioning is releasing just a little bit as time goes by and the hair is a physical manifestation of that right and i love the uh, hair the way she wears it now and i might get in trouble for saying that but no, I the like braids it. are amazing i want playmates i want a braided figure yeah. <laughs> that's what i want i do i do well i had forgotten in here that we were discussing Cadet Tilly. Not Ensign Tilly. Cadet Tilly. She was still a cadet at this time. That's right, she was. And remember remember her remember her cringing up in her bed when they went to that our first ever black alert? And the way yeah. the, sh- the ship just shook. I was a fascinating point. And by the way, fans, just like Jim, I started watching the first two episodes for two weeks ago's show, and it's like, yeah, I can't stop here. And hit through the entire season. Because it was just so good to revisit the show. And so many things that we missed or didn't realize we missed because there were so many little tidbits that we didn't know about. Think about this. Lorca is the first captain in his ready room to be standing. He rarely ever used a sitting desk. He stood at his desk. That was unique to to a captain for us. And I love how the guys said, oh, they liked how Stamets was. But I remember us kind of saying, we weren't sure about Stamets. Stamets was a bit of a, little bit of a jerk. And yes, the mirror, yes, the visuals in the mirror warmed us up a little bit. But I really think we softened up to Stamets when we got to see Magic make the sanest man Mo go mad. Yeah, I think we saw the soft side of Stamets, and we suddenly just fell. We we suddenly character. We liked who he was. Yeah, yeah. And through this whole time, and through this whole time. There's one more thing we haven't even talked about that I think David might not even be familiar with. I don't know about Paul. But what about After Trek? Yeah, that was good. The show we got this the show the the uh compared to what we have right now with Will Wheaton. That was our first season where we had a little behind the scenes interviewed with the stars, all with uh, a comedian who we actually got, got to enjoy. But all the fact that, that instead of it being thrown together on YouTube, 
This was released an hour after, about a half hour or hour after the episode dropped. We get the episode at 5 o'clock. We'd run through and maybe about 6, 6.30, we'd get a live after. We'd get a live after track. I think after the first half of the season, they pre-recorded them, knowing let's do them ahead of time. But that and was while we're talking about real ready room. Let's not forget something really important about season one, and you kind of just hinted at it. If you guys can set the way back clock to 2017, they dropped Discovery at the same time, and you would have a lot of lagging, a lot of problems trying to watch it because the entire internet, the whole world yes. was tuned in to CBS all access at the same time and their servers couldn't handle it. Well, that's why my pizza order got late. Well, and they just launched the platform too, Jim. That was the thing was yep. discovery was the inaugural program on the CBS all access platform. And so they just weren't yep. ready for the traffic that they got. Well, this wasn't the first yep. time Star Trek in history had broke the internet. Well, if you remember that they started, they started uh, dropping it at midnight, so that like they do now, so that you did, yep. so that people could watch it, and you didn't have that. Oh, oh, it's it's nine thirty on Thursday, and everyone in the world was watching this. So um, it's come mm-hmm. a long way then. Yep, for sure. <laughs> and in fact, I can remember us. I can remember us doing shows. And knowing the fact it's like, okay, as soon as the show's over, we're going straight over to CBS All Access because the show just got dropped, just got released. It's a brand new yep. episode. We got to go, got to go straight to watch it. Hmm. It was an entirely interesting time for that. I don't think Star Trek was the first series on CBS All Access. But I think it was the first big production that was getting a lot of attention. I think there were a couple little dramas on there, but not yeah, the biggest Star Trek. It was it was certainly their advertising flagship when they launched their streaming platform. Absolutely. Also, guys, guess what else we forgot to talk about? What? Donut. The, <laughs> no, the um. The uh, incredible uh, scenery, uh, the the visual effects of the uh, series, probably the first one that felt like a actual movie, like you were at a movie theater. Oh, yes. Yeah. yeah. Watching it on a 4K screen probably would pop a lot more often than not. So, I don't know. Kind of fun. And I, and I just, I would be remiss. I would be a terrible host. If if I let this slip, if we talk about Discovery and I don't mention the one thing that I think makes Discovery shine above every other Star Trek we've seen to date, and that's right, I said that, so let the hate mail come flying in, but I think that Discovery excels at representation, and to me that's very important, and that's yes. something that let Paul hinted at. There's certain posts that I can put on our Facebook page right now, and I guarantee you I will shoot at least 100 people out the airlock. Guaranteed. And I think that representation in Star Trek, showing Stamets, 
showing these characters as actual characters, as functioning members of the crew, where you're not saying to yourself, well, well, Tig Notaro, oh my, there's so many great ones, but where you're not saying to yourself, the gay doctor or whatever, you know, and that to me is is something that, that Discovery has just excelled at, and that's representing those, giving those people who don't have a voice a voice. Letting them be seen, our, and that is so our important. First non, our first non-binary character in Star Trek. That's right. Yep, and yeah. we actually did get to see the binars on on lower decks. But this is different. Stop it! Stop it! <laughs> Wait, I thought that's what that's, the battle was about. That's that's how far out of it I was actually <laughs> at the time. Yeah. You know. We yeah, joke there's because, always yeah. hope. There's always we, hope. Though. We joke because of Jim's prior ignorance, and we still like yeah. to laugh at it as a group. But, you, know, you are living <laughs> yeah. proof that growth is always possible. It's true. It's true. It's, yeah, but it's, it's just you know, true. it's just like we get a lot of grief uh, on the page uh, when we post discovery stuff, right? And we do, and it's it's super revealing, right? And uh, it really it's, I find it I find it <laughs> fascinating just because it's a show about uh, you know what is Star Trek about. Right, the old school hardened fans, right? The old white guys, right? It's like, you know, oh, I Star Trek from the 60s. Well, so do I, dude. But it was a show that had an Asian guy, a Russian guy, a black woman, and an alien all working together, right? And women in positions of, you know, authority. I mean, it's just to be against it is just so preposterous. It's like, it's, you know, it's like, uh, you know, going into like Denny's and saying, I don't like eggs. I mean, what the hell is wrong with you, right? I mean, <laughs> You know, for crying out loud. <laughs> <laughs> it's just like, I hate movies. Very Why are we metaphor. in a movie theater? You know, <laughs> yeah. it's just, but uh, the, the, my point is everyone always says the same thing, right, about Discovery. Well, I think they should just have it, and they're always ramming it down our throat, though. They're always pushing it, pushing it, you know, instead of it not just being there, they're, they're cramming it down our throat. Well, people tend to say that who've never experienced being marginalized or oppressed themselves, right, who've always had a voice, and if they bloviate, they know they're not going to not be heard. And uh, imagine what it would be like if you weren't. Imagine if you were like a very frightened teenager in a small town in Montana who was pretty sure that their gender identity was not what they really felt inside. Now, it's terrifying. If you're that individual, seeing these characters depicted on a show like Star Trek is revolutionary. You know, it's an act of revolution. It's an act of social, uh, civil protest it's uh it's an act of civil rights i think i think it's really important that this stuff is going on um i think the history is going to look very unkindly to the folks who uh have been against uh these characters on the show so uh, it's I, i'm glad that that's the, the, they're not shy about it they're not shy about making sure that the rainbow is prominently placed uh on uh all parts of p plus it's who they are and you definitely see that same thing happening on uh on uh a strange new worlds and folks who see it on one but not the other maybe you need to look in the mirror a little bit more well you know i get a kick out of the strange new world and everybody everybody focusing on melissa navia and ortegas because of her hair and making a big deal over her over the hair it's the same exact thing you know, Star Trek isn't about that, people. You're missing the point. You know, she flies the ship, <laughs> in her own words. But, yeah, back at Discovery, I, I agree. I think that this, 
Discovery is is the future of Star Trek. And, uh, you know, they have to represent people. They have to give people a chance to be seen and be heard and, and be seen as equals. And that's what Discovery did so, so, so well. And Sonequa Martin-Green, I think, is a phenomenal actress. And I love her as captain. And I, I love Saru as captain. I love them both as captain. But one thing that we didn't really touch on but before we get too far is Calypso. Because we know, Eric, what, at one point in time, Eric, what's going to happen? Are we jumping way beyond episode Way beyond episode three, yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. Well, so, I, let me just be a devil's advocate for a minute. Do we have time for this? i got to bounce in yeah. 15. Yeah, we do. Okay. We just got we uh, just got some birthdays in one story. Well, we just know, I guess, uh, what you're maybe referencing is that sometime in the future, we know that the Discovery ends up, or we, we think we know that the Discovery ends up in a, what was it, a nebula somewhere by itself, uh, and that there is this um, organization called the Vadresh that we assume is a kind of like post-Federation something or other. And so with the 32nd century discovery happening in seasons three and four, I guess there are questions about Calypso because there's this whole idea about a thousand years in the future, but maybe we're talking about a thousand years in the future from seasons three and four. Is that kind of where you were going with that, Jim? Yeah. Well, we don't know exactly where in the future that, Exactly. That I think it's. I think now, like my tendency is to think that it's in the forty-second century. That's what I think. But yeah, that makes sense. The origin of the Borg. Jump back in time. Makes sense. Captured yeah. everybody. <laughs> okay. All right. <laughs> carry on. Carry on. Great. <laughs> so what were you going to say, Paul? No, nothing. Uh, I just, yeah. I'm just, uh, I'm just keeping an eye yeah. on the clock, man, because I, well, I, I, yeah. I have to to take the next shuttle over to. Uh, uh, you know, uh, Risa in about uh, 12 minutes. We all know you mean Andor, yeah? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, dude, let me just say Andorians are cold in all the wrong places. <laughs> but they got warm hearts. Yeah, that'll, that well, nickel will get you a cup of coffee. <laughs> so, Paul, what would, you, what would you score this episode on a scale of 1 to 10? I think I'd give it an 8. I think that'd be my, uh, you know, I mean, you know, in terms of like a 10 is like, you know, masterpiece level. Right. But I think an eight for me, um, you know, again, Jason Isaacs and uh, and just really good acting across the board and a great visual aesthetic that uh, delivered a lot of promise. So really great. I mean, just uh, first two episodes, I was like, "Ah, how are we doing? I don't know. But then, man, when we got in here, I was like, now we're talking. But, you know, we didn't even know what was really by this episode. We're it's important to talk about it without all of what you learned later influencing it. At this point, we still don't really know what's up with the drive. We know there's something going on that involves, you know, Mike, mycelia, whatever, but we don't know that that's the engine yet. We don't know at all. You know, it was still very much a big mystery in this first episode, very much as much of a mystery as Lorca, as much of a mystery as anything. So I love that and that they were willing to really kind of make us ask questions and want to know more. So solid eight. Solid eight. That, and that's high praise, actually, from Paul. No, uh, not necessarily. <laughs> I get plenty of attention. Strange New World. I mean, you know, I did. You know, that's true. That's true. Call him as I see him, brother. 
How about you, Charles? I'm going to go with a nine on this one. I think it was a really good, strong setting for the new series. All right. How about you, Eric? Uh, I'm going to go with Paul here. I think it was about an eight. Uh, very solid, very good. Um, not amazing, amazing, amazing. So I'll give it an eight. David? Well, it's kind of hard to give something a score when you know what's going to happen in the future. But um, from me watching this episode today, I couldn't really sit through when it comes to knowing what happened. So, uh, yeah, I'm probably going to give this one a 6.5. I'm going to go with an 8.5. I'm going to go between Paul and between Charles. Go with an 8.5 for me. So, and our fans scored it a what? What did the fans uh, do? Seven point five. Fans gave it a seven point five, and the host gave it an eight. All right. Well, there you have it. We're pretty much right in line with the with the fans, guys. And this is the part of the show where we do our Star Trek birthdays. was not a Klingon song. All right. We always start off our Star Trek birthdays by remembering those members of our family who, sadly enough, are no longer with us. However, however, we're going to jump ahead, and we're going to squeeze Paul in here first. Huh? And then we'll swing. We're going to swing back to Eric uh, because Paul's got to bounce. So we're going we're gonna to let Paul... Oh, guys, on, you're very kind. You're very kind. I have I've been triple booked all day with stuff, so it's kind of nuts. But uh, I wish I could stick around for Jim's segment, too, because I know what's on number one on his list. And I, oh, I'm just the suspense, folks, when you know what he's going to talk about. Oh, my God, it's going to be amazing. <laughs> so I'm going to sneak in real quickly and first of all, say happy birthday to Zachary Benjamin. Uh, and somehow the entire script just disappeared from me. Who is moving that script around? Uh-oh. Sorry, I took some stuff out. <laughs> I guess Roll you up. did. Well, <laughs> my goodness. Well, I'm that's, never going on a road trip with you. Yeah, I'm never going on a road trip with you guys. You just grab the wheel and say, oh, look, a squirrel, and <laughs> can drive off the road. Let's try uh, that again. It's supposed to be a trouble. Uh, it is uh, my pleasure to say happy birthday to Zachary Benjamin. He's the actor who played Ian Andrew Troy in the Next Generation second season episode, The Child. Happy birthday to South African actress Pumzile Sitole, who portrayed Diata Nindoye in the third and fourth season episodes of Star Trek Discovery. Uh, I'm not sure if we'll see uh, Puzume Mzile again, but maybe we will in season five. Uh, this next one we love. We love so much. Terry Farrell, wonderful luminary, lovely actress who played Jadzia Dax in all of the first six seasons of Star Trek Deep Space Nine. Pretty amazing. And uh, a wonderful person on the convention circuit by all, uh, by all accounts. Uh, love this next guy uh, tremendously um, for the character he's portrayed. Uh, the, great, <laughs> the great Dwight Schultz, uh, who we love on Star Trek for uh, his portrayal of Reginald Barkley. <laughs> a huge range of uh, episodes going from like 1990 to 2001. Um, did things with the holodeck that could get you sent to HR in a New York minute. 
<laughs> the best thing ever. I love that episode, and I love the humor and uh, vulnerability and uh, relatability that uh, Dwight Schultz brings to that character. So, uh, to me, a favorite uh, for all beings, all, all for, uh, just a really great consideration. Happy birthday to Patrick Kwok Chun, the Canadian actor who plays Lieutenant Jen Reese in uh, Discovery, another great member of the Discovery cast. Um, huge fan of this guy, Jerry Harden is a wonderful actor who played Samuel Langhorn Clemens in the fifth and sixth season episode, Time's Arrow and Time's Arrow Part Two. Uh, re- of course, we're talking about Mark Twain, right? But Jerry Harden's great. Um, any of you, I know Uncle Jim's a big X-Files fan. And uh, oh. Jerry, Harden, Jerry Harden was deep throat, basically. He was the, in those first couple of seasons, he was the man. He was that guy who would bring the uh, the nefarious files. Only you can help us with this, Mr. Mulder. You know, he's a rem- remarkable actor. Really, really great. As is the great Daniel Davis. Daniel Davis, we love on this show. We love him because he played Professor James Moriarty in the next-gen second and sixth season episodes, Elementary Dear Data, and ship in a bottle, and then came back and reprised the role briefly on Picard's third season episode, The Bounty. But that's a great character. If you've not seen the Moriarty episodes of Next Gen, you're really missing out. And wow, would we ever buy this lady a drink if she ever came on the show? Um, or whatever it is that you enjoy, uh, Denise Crosby, cake, what have it. We would toast you. Uh, we would celebrate your awesomeness because you are the luminary who played Lieutenant Natasha Yar on the first season episodes of Star Trek The Next Generation, a legendary character if there ever was one. She left before the end of the season, but to all of our great delight, she returned to the role in later episodes, uh, including uh, a chance to play a Romulan daughter of Tasha Yar named Sela in an alternate timeline, but just a great performer, a great person. Um, from what I gather, a really fantastic human being and uh, what a great human character uh, Natasha Yar is. I think most fans really, uh, next gen fans just really think she's a dynamite and any opportunity to see her work is just great. So happy birthday to all of you. Fantastic fans. Sorry for my abrupt departure this evening. Uh, but I got to go do a thing, and I'm going to pass the uh, Memorial Birthday Bonanza over to our good friend, Eric. Thanks, Paul. Yeah, uh, great to hear from you and great to talk about all those amazing people who are still with us that have birthdays this week. And now we're going to go back in time a little bit, and we're going to celebrate those who have gone before us. And so first on our list this week, of course, is the great Robin Brown, uh, Robert, Robert, excuse me, Robert Brown, uh, who uh, has the original name of Robin Adair Mackenzie Brown. Uh, He's, of course, the actor who made the appearance as Lazarus in the TOS first season episode, The Alternative. Uh, I found out just as part of my research today that he was actually hired as a last-minute replacement for actor John Drew Barrymore, who had been cast in the role, but didn't show up on the first day of shooting. So coincidentally, his first filming day on the episode was... Also, guess what? His 40th birthday. Uh, Robin or Robert uh, Brown did a couple other things uh, back in the day, some television, probably best known to star in the television series Here Comes the Bride from 1968 through 1970. Happy birthday to Robert Brown. Happy birthday as well to Maggie Threat, 
That was the stage name for Diane Pine, the actress who played Ruth Bonaventure in the TOS first season episode, Mud's Women. Outside of Star Trek, Maggie was uh, also known for appearing on television programs such as The Wild Wild West and I Dream of Jeannie. And prior to her arrival in Hollywood, she actually had pursued a career as an R&B singer. She released a single called Lucky Girl as Diane Pine on the Take Three label back in 1964. And then she released singles Soupy and Walk On By as Maggie Threat on the Dynavoice label in 1965. So I thought that was kind of a cool thing about her. Singer, actress, Maggie Threat would have had a birthday this week. Happy birthday as well to actor Michael Whitney. He's the actor born in New York City, uh, New York, New York, the city so nice they named it twice. He played the role of Tyree in the TOS second season episode, A Private Little War, one of my favorite TOS episodes. He appeared in a number of television series back in the day, mostly westerns and dramas from the 50s through the 70s, and also did some films, with the first being the 1967 western, The Way West. Michael Whitney would have had a birthday on November 21st. Happy birthday, Michael. Happy birthday as well to Tiny Ron. You say, who would name themselves Tiny Ron? Well, uh, I'll tell you a story about that. He's the actor known for playing the role of Mai Hardu in seven episodes of DS9. If you don't remember who he is, uh, he is Zex Tall, uh, Grand Negus Zex Tall assistant. He was also known as the Alpha Herogen Idrin in the Star Trek Voyager fourth season episodes, Messed in a Bottle and Hunters. Um, so uh, Ron Taylor, this guy, seven feet tall, no kidding. Um, he actually uh, changed his name to Tiny Ron from Ronald Taylor, which is how he was born back in the day, because there was already another Ron Taylor who was a member of the Screen Actors Guild, which is a reason that actors often change their names. Uh, his name was intended to be ironic, considering he's seven feet tall, so Tiny Ron, you know, you get it. <laughs> With his large size, he was often cast as hulking henchmen in a number of movies, uh, including playing the hulking Nazi assassin Lothar in The Rocketeer in 1991. Um, and I know Jim loves Alien Nation, so it uh, turns out Ronald Taylor did some Alien Nation back in the day. He was in the TV specials Alien Nation Body and Soul and Alien Nation The Enemy Within in 1994 and 1996, respectively. Uh, so happy birthday to Tiny Ron. Happy birthday as well to Karen Montgomery. Uh, her birthday would have just been a couple days ago. She's the actress who portrayed Beta in the Star Trek Next Generation first season episode Angel One. Montgomery started acting in the late 70s when she portrayed Patricia in the Kojak episode in Full Command. And she went on to do a handful of uh, mostly comedy television movies. Uh, later on in her career, she was on some L.A. Law, and then she became a producer and produced several projects. Uh, so that is kind of cool when you make that move from actor to producer later in your life. Karen Montgomery would have had a birthday on November 28th. Happy birthday, Karen. Happy birthday as well to actor Jeffrey Hunter. This is a name that most Star Trek folks from back in the day know. Uh, Jeffrey Hunter is the stage name of Henry Herman McInnes Jr. That's a nice little piece of trivia for you there. Remember that for your friends. He's a veteran of dozens of films, but we, of course, best know him for being one of four pikes. He was 
the first Pike we ever saw, Captain Christopher Pike, in the original uh, uh, TOS pilot, The Cage, which of course was the second pilot that we would end up seeing. That one was shot back in 1964. As I said, a dozen films to his credit. Most notably, he did a lot of work with director John Ford back in the day, uh, did a Hitchcock movie, uh, did a very controversial appearance as Jesus Christ in the 1961 biblical film King of Kings, uh, which I absolutely recommend on checking out if you can. Uh, and then eventually, unfortunately, we lost him uh, due to kind of a surgery that didn't go the way that it was planned after he injured himself in a fall at home. So unfortunately, we lost him way back in 1969. Uh, just a few, what was it, one week before the airing of the final original series episode, Turnabout Intruder. So Jeffrey Hunter would have had a birthday this week. Happy birthday, Jeffrey. And finally, on our remembrance list this week, we have the great and amazing Ricardo Montalban. I know you know who he is in Star Trek context. He, of course, is known as Khan Noonien Singh. Uh, our very first augment we meet back in the day yeah, from the TOS first season episode Space Seed, later reprising that role in what many people consider to be the best Star Trek movie, Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan. Ricardo Montalban was absolutely kind of known back in the day as a stereotypical Latin lover. He's an Emmy award-winning and Tony Award-nominated actor. Best known, I think, originally as Mr. Rourke uh, back in the late 70s and early 80s, plane, Fantasy Island. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that was Tattoo who said that, but the uh, Tattoo's boss, essentially. Um, and he was also remembered as the Chrysler Pitchman back in the day who touted the Cordoba with its rich Corinthian leather, <laughs> which I think we like to have <laughs> a lot of fun with uh, on the podcast. Uh, Ricardo Montalban, listen, this guy was in over 200 film and television projects over the course of his career. Um, not only was he a great actor, but as we said, Tony Award nominated, so he was into theater, music. Um, he was known for his performances in musicals for MGM on the Broadway stage in the 40s and 50s. He continued to work all the way up until his death in 2009, despite the fact that he was constrained to a wheelchair starting in 1993 due to an injury that he suffered uh, actually on, on the set uh, back in the day. So um, was given a Lifetime Achievement Award by the Screen Actors Guild. This is certainly a titan of Star Trek. I just can't say enough amazing stuff about Ricardo Montalban. Happy birthday, Ricardo. And uh, that does it for our remembrances, guys. So I'm going to pass this flaming birthday candle back to Charles. Well, before we do Thank that, you, though, Eric. I just wanted to mention uh, I used to do a podcast with Leslie Hoffman called Stunt Trek, and you guys can find all those Stunt Trek episodes at trektalking.com. And one of the things that Leslie was most impressed about was what a gentleman Ricardo Maldobon actually was. Because she worked with him on Fantasy Island, and uh, I forgot, was it The Naked Gun? I'm not sure. Yes. Naked Gun, uh, two and a half. Two and a half, and Ricardo was in that, and Leslie Hoffman was a stunt woman on, in that movie. And Ricardo Montalban actually made it a point to come over and talk to her. And she said most times back in the day, 
the headline actors just didn't interact with, you know, with the regulars, particularly just a stunt person. And the fact that he remembered her name and, and came over to talk to her just really impressed her with what kind of a, a gentleman he actually was. So um, you guys can find, listen to that story in its entirety. Uh, just go to stunt treks at trektalking.com and find that episode. But Leslie said that Ricardo was nothing but a gentleman. So that's, that's pretty cool. I wanted yep. to throw that out there. All right. Uh, quite a few big names on my list this week. Let's start out with a happy birthday to Robert Beltran, most famous for his role as Commander Jacoby on Star Trek Voyager, and has recently reprised his role on Star Trek Prodigy. Happy birthday to Sarah Mitch, actress who played Lieutenant Commander Arium in the first season of Star Trek Discovery, and Lieutenant Nielsen from the second to the fourth season. I believe she had problems with the makeup work for Arium, and somebody else took the role for season two. <clears throat> Happy birthday to one that I am not going to try saying his full name. Happy birthday to Alexander Sindig, best known for his betrayal as Dr. Bajir in Star Trek Deep Space Nine. He also appeared as Dr. Bajir in Star Trek Next Generation Sixties in episode Birthright Part One. Originally credited as Sindig El Fadil, I think it's pronunciation. He changed his professional name to Alexander Sindig. Because, as reported by him in Star Trek Inventions, nobody could pronounce his his actual name. And actually looking at his full name on there, that looked like a rather complex sentence, stretching out his actual name. You know, Charles, Happy- I feel like that's a function of the time in which he was a popular actor, because I kind of feel like if he was coming on to Star Trek these days, like on Star Trek Discovery or Strange New Worlds, he would yeah. probably be able to keep his original name and people would have less of an issue with it. Well, we get to hear, because of the internet, we get to hear a lot of people's names over and over. Yeah. We get to More hear pronunciation. Yeah. Whereas Deep... <coughs> DS9 came around, we didn't have an internet yet. Or much of one. Right. Happy birthday right. to Happy birthday to Scarlett Pompers, American singer, songwriter, and child actress who played Naomi Wildman in the fifth to seventh seasons of Star Trek Voyager, where she appeared in sixteen episodes. Happy birthday to Tom Wright, is a highly pro- prolific actor who played Tuvix. In Star Trek Voyager's second season episode, Tuvix, <coughs> who's still actively acting after currently being in the in the industry for 45 years already. And the reason he played Tuvix is because they realized that they didn't want to use either actor who play the character that they chose. They needed somebody else 
entirely different to play Tuvix instead of having to do makeups on one of the two actors. Happy birthday to Allison Pill, Canadian actress who played Agnes Girardi in the first and second season of series of Picard. And this one I stole from Paul. There's a story behind it. Happy birthday to Oded Fair, Israeli actor who played Fleet Admiral Charles Vance in the third and fourth season of the series of Star Trek Discovery. I appeared in the first two Mummy movies, which I guess because it was Mummy movies, he had to do Scooby-Doo and Where's My Mummy? He's done several DC animations. And our friend Terrence loves calling him my twin. That he says he and I look a lot alike. So that's why I had to steal him, steal him away for birthday list. But we still got a few left to go, and I'm going to pass it over to Uncle Jim. Yeah, before we do that, though, a uh, couple of things I want to mention. In honor of Sarah Mitch's birthday, you can go to trektalking.com, and I have an autographed picture of her there, and I'd love to give it to you. Absolutely. I would love to send it to you right now. But there's a catch. You need to go to the giveaway section, and when you get there, you'll see the picture that you can win, and you'll see pictures of some of our past winners, Um we have quite a few, but I could only find two of the pictures. Uh, Shannon, who listens to us in Scotland, she won a copy of the Book of Grudge. And the one and only Leslie, not Leslie Hoffman, Leslie Sawyer, uh, I refer to her as the meat and potatoes of our podcast. Um, she won the picture that we gave away um, last year. Um, so... You can go to the giveaway section, and when you get there, you'll see a little blue microphone in the bottom right-hand corner. Click on that, and just tell me why you want this autographed picture of Lieutenant Arium. It's that simple, and you win. Okay? It, it, it's, it's really easy. So just head on over there, and boom, all set. Um, yeah, I, I, I was looking for the picture of Nate, but I couldn't find it. We had, a, we had a couple more winners, but I couldn't find the pictures of them to put up on the page. So maybe if I can locate them, I'll get them all up there. But you guys, you could have your picture up on the trucktalking.com page just by recording us a short message. Another thing I wanted to mention, we were talking about Jason Isaacs so much at the, at the top of the show. Um, I actually went to his first convention appearance, and um, I was there as a Klingon. And I'm standing in line with a whole bunch of kids wearing robes, waving Harry Potter wands around, and there I am as a Klingon. This was way at the beginning of Star Trek Discovery. And uh, it was talk about surrealistic, and everyone's going up to him and asking him about, you know, this potion and that potion and this spell and blah, blah, blah. And I get up there, and I want to talk about Star Trek. And at that point in time, uh, he didn't have a... um, the word I'm looking for, uh, a, a chain to, uh, to put on his pictures. So when I got uh, up there, he said, he says to me, you know, like when you meet most of them, 
they have something they usually sign, like live long and prosper or whatever. And uh, he said, what would you like me to, to uh, sign? It? I said, two gym, black alert. And he said, that's a good one. I, I think I'm going to keep that. So he signs black alert on his pictures now because of me. Pretty cool. And yeah. uh, I got to tell you, he was, a, he was awesome. He was so cool to talk to. He was just, he was a great guy. So uh, those, I just wanted to get those, those two little tidbits out to you guys before we move on. All right, on to the birthdays. So as you guys may or may not know, the best, the ultimate, the one and only Star Trek movie you should ever watch and put it on repeat and watch it over and over and over again because it's that good is Star Trek V, The Final Frontier. In fact, it's so good that when I go to conventions, I'll sometimes do a panel and uh, telling people just how great it is and the people will just pack right into the ballroom to discuss Star Trek V. That's absolutely true, by the way. And why am I mentioning Star Trek V and the awesomeness of Star Trek V? Because my first birthday, I think, is awesome, and I would love to get this guy on our podcast. I'd love to track him down and get him on the podcast and talk to him about Star Trek V. Um, I'm talking about none other than Shakari himself, Mr. Cybok, Lawrence Luckinbill, Tony Award-winning nominated actor who played Cybok, Star Trek V, The Final Frontier. And I would love to talk to him about working with William Shatner, what it was like on the set. I mean, I think he's a, he's a great actor, and I'd love to get his insight on the whole Star Trek V uh, thing and It'd be great. So I'm, I'm working on it. No promises, but if it happens, I'll be thrilled. And sticking with the Star Trek V motif, kind of, uh, this next guy actually was on our podcast. Uh, he was on the podcast with me and Leslie Stunt Treks twice. So you guys can find that on trektalking.com. But we also had him on this podcast when we talked about Star Trek The Motion Picture when the uh, new uh, 4K edition came out and why did we have him on here because tom morga played the klingon first officer in star trek the motion picture that was the guy standing next to mark leonard he also played the dock worker in star trek the motion picture you might be saying to yourself dock worker there was no dock worker in star trek the motion picture but ah uh, yes there was eric eric who was the dock worker in, in the motion picture that, that, that was played by Tom Morgan that fans can actually go and see in the movie? I think it's the, it's the dude floating around, right? Yep. There's a guy when the Enterprise pulls out of space dock, and there's a dock worker who spins around. He does yep. a total flip, and that is Tom Morgan. And he, was, he told us how, just exactly how complicated that shot was to film, and you guys can check that out. Uh, he also played the brute, Mardia as the brute alien in Star Trek VI, The Undiscovered Country, and I had mentioned that he was also in Star Trek V indirectly because Tom Morga played the rock monster in the Star Trek V deleted scenes. Um, Shatner wanted rock monsters and got a single rock monster, and that was played by Tom Morga. If you go to and and you're you're 
diligent about it, you can find a fan copy of Star Trek V, The Final Frontier, which is the copy that I own, where somebody put these, this deleted scene back in the end of the movie. And uh, I think that it really makes the end of the movie so much better because rather than having a giant blue floating head saying, you and coming after Kirk, it's actually a rock monster. And the rock monster arm reaches through the shuttlecraft and tries to grab him. And then Spock shows up and blows up the rock monster. That's Tom Morga. And if you look, you can find a version of the movie that has that restored scene in it. It's definitely worth it. So happy birthday to Tom Morga. And now, guys, from this point on, it's Klingons all the way. <laughs> I always save the Klingons for last. And good golly, Miss Molly, have I got Klingons. I've got Klingons to the left of me, Klingons to the right of me. I, I just don't know where to begin. I guess the best, <laughs> the best thing to do is dive right in. So the first, first Klingon that we want to say, Kapla, um, why is my screen, I'm having the same problem that Paul was having. My Klingons are disappearing. <laughs> oh, my God. There they are. Okay. So the first person we want to say Kapla to is Stefan Root. He's the actor who played the Klingon Captain Kabata in Star Trek The Next Generation, fifth season episode, Unification 1 and Unification 2. Uh, he's the one that, that wants to lick the paint off of Data's face when he's dressed up as a Romulan. He also gets the message that Sarek has died as well. So, Kapla. I also want to say Kapla to Kyle Cass, the actor who played Kradok in Star Trek Strange New World, second season episode, The Broken Circle. He's the Klingon that drinks blood wine with Spock. We also want to say Kapla to Alex Spencer, who played Grenex in Star Trek Strange New World, second season episode, Broken Circle. That's the Klingon that um, is trying to buy the arms, the weapons. Um, we also want to say happy birthday to John Larroquette, the American actor who played Moss in Star Trek III, The Search for Spock. He's the Klingon that uh, Kirk said, I'll kill you later. And when they're taking him off the bridge, he says, I thought you said you'd kill me. He says, I lied. Takes him away. Happy birthday to John Larroquette. We also want to say happy birthday to Henry Wallachitz. The actor who played Jadan in Star Trek The Next Generation, fourth season episode, The Drumhead. And Floragaran in Star Trek Voyager's third season episode, Distant Origin. This next one is pretty special. I want to say happy birthday and kapwa to Kenneth Mitchell. The actor who portrayed the Klingons Cole, Kolsha, and Tenevik, as well as Aurelio on Star Trek Discovery. This actor is brilliant. He's, he's in a wheelchair now because he has ALS, uh, but he's, he's absolutely brilliant. Uh, we also want to say happy birthday to Sterling Marcer Jr., the actor from Springfield, Missouri, who played the role of Hog in Star Trek The Next Generation, 60s an episode, Birthright Part 2. He didn't play the character, but the character would appear later on in Lower Decks in Weege Dodge um, as an animated version of himself. So happy birthday to Sterling Macer Jr. And speaking of alienation, I also want to say happy birthday to Eric Pierpoint, perhaps best known for his role of George Francisco on Alienation. Uh, he more notably appeared in Star Trek several times. He appeared as, as Voval 
in TNG's liaison. He appeared as Sanders in DS9's The Uniform. He played Sherat on Enterprise's episode Rogue Planet and Harris on Enterprise's episodes Affliction and Divergence and Demons. But I'm going to remember him tonight for playing the part of Kotar on Voyager's episode The Barge of the Dead. So kapla to all those awesome Klingons tonight. And now it's time for some Star Trek news, and I think we have enough time for it. So let's hit the cue. Priority one message from Starfleet coming in on secured channel. Incoming transmission. Enter authorization code. Command codes verified. Define parameters of program. Level nine authorization required. Specify parameters. Transfer of data is complete. Okay, who is going to take the next story? Go for it, Charles. I think the doctor will. Oh. The doctor. <laughs> okay. Uh, remember, folks, we call ourselves Trek Talking and Beyond. <clears throat> because, we do, uh, because we still have a little bit of beyond in our show. And this week, past weekend was a special weekend for... Many fan, sci-fi fans out there, especially Eric and I, because a new home for Doctor Who, us, and all but the UK, and Saturday dropped the first episode of the anniversary season. As we're doing, shoot, which which anniversary are you at, at Eric? Uh, this is 50, the 60th anniversary. 60th. 60th, yeah. 60th anniversary of Doctor Who. And I don't want to do too many spoilers for our fans out there. <clears throat> but we got an interesting rehash because we got David Tennant back as the Doctor. And we see the shock in his eyes to realize he came back and believe that something was not finished. He had to do something before he can move on. And we had Donna Catherine come Tate. back. Catherine Tate. And we kind of felt like we knew the fact that something would happen to her if she remembered if she realized who she, who she, what she'd gone through. And I love how the story, I won't say how, but how the story handled that one. That was so, what a surprise way of handling that situation. But to have him come back. And I didn't have too many people talk about this, but Eric will understand what I mean by this. To me, this was a very much a Moffat-style story. Moffat was the writer back in the Tenant era and eventually became the showrunner. And he had a good style of writing, many of his good stories. And this just reminded me of so many people kind of talked about they weren't as happy with the last two doctors and the stories that were written was this felt to me like it got back to that style of writing. 
that really made Doctor Who such a fabulously well-written, enjoyable story. What do you think, Eric? Yeah, I mean, I thought the Star Beast was actually pretty good. So this is the first of three specials, I believe, that we're going to get uh, that include David Tennant and Catherine Tate. I think she's in all three. I'm not exactly sure. But, um, you know, it kind of had all of the classic Doctor Who elements for me. Uh, I will say right up front, just to be honest, and I've always said this, Tennant has always been my favorite Doctor. Catherine Tate has honestly always been my favorite companion. So I had really high expectations for this episode. And I'll say that like for the first, I don't know, two thirds of it or so, um, I thought it was kind of interesting because I felt a, um, a, almost like a heaviness to David Tennant's doctor right up front, right? As Charles alluded to, he comes back. Uh, Jodie Whittaker was our previous doctor. He comes back. He's like, oh my gosh, I've seen this face before. What is going on? That mystery is not revealed in this episode. So we're going to find that out in one of our next two episodes. We still don't know why we see his face again. But we had left his character and Donna's character in kind of a a big place where if you if you're a little rusty on Doctor Who lore, essentially Donna kind of absorbed a bunch of Time Lord energy and she had to forget it because otherwise she would die. And so the Doctor took her memories back in the day. They should if she should ever get them back, um, she was sure to die. And the way that they handled that and the way that they mixed in Donna's child and Donna's child's identity as a non-binary character also I thought was really cool and kind of seamlessly done. Um, there's a whole scene where David Tennant's talking about pronouns and they kind of like make pronouns very clear in a non-invasive way that is just really cool. And they're talking about their little alien um, meep. Um, and so I think that at this point, beep the meep is probably giving uh, Mootsie a little bit of run for their money in terms yeah. of um, fun, <laughs> fun science I, I fiction gonna, characters. <laughs> I was going to say for a lot of fans, Star Trek fan is Mootsie, the Whovian fan is Meep. Yeah, yeah. And that's so, that pair of in. And I just have to mention this before uh, we finish the review is that the first of all this the bad guy slash cute character in this one is is you know beep the meep, and David if that sounds familiar yes there were meeps in Phineas and Ferb back in the day <laughs> spelled differently so these meeps are M double E P and the meeps in Phineas and Ferb M E A P, but exactly the same type of character small cute. Bent on domination. <laughs> you just know exactly what I'm thinking about. I do. I was thinking all about you. As soon as I saw the meet, I was like, oh, David, he's going to love this Phineas and Ferb connection. <laughs> so, yeah, overall. And I actually uh, believe, yeah, go ahead. I actually believe that that alien, that the meep and another, the other, another creature we meet in this are actually tied into previous Doctor Who's. I'm not sure how far back, but I believe they're actually – are historical characters. Yeah, they totally are. The Meeps are actually, I read this article about how this whole story comes from a 1980s Doctor Who um, comic mm. that I think was much beloved, and so they kind of adopted it for the the screen, and Chris Chinball is back. Everybody's very excited about him being back on the show. So I think overall, um, this is a really strong comeback for Doctor Who. I didn't 
I didn't have the same problems with Jodie Whittaker that many people had, although her writing did suffer in the last couple of seasons. But to me, the writing did bounce back in this first episode. So, Charles, I'm going to give this one a solid eight. I really enjoyed it quite a bit. It had all the goofiness of Doctor Who that I enjoy. It had the um, like the canon moments. Let's talk about one canon moment real quick that we didn't talk about yet. What about the new Sonic abilities? Oh, yes. Tell us about the new Sonic Screwdriver ability that we saw. I'm still trying to figure that one out, but he (laughs) took his screwdriver and created what was almost like a piece of glass. It's like a floating force field. So I'd almost say, I'd almost compare saying, man, did he create something similar to a transparent aluminum? It was like Green Lantern or something where he created a physical object out of energy, which was very interesting and something that we've never seen happen from a sonic screwdriver before. Usually this thing is used to, like, unlock doors and give information about things. (laughs) Yeah. So that was really cool. Uh, What would you give it? I give it an eight. I'd push a nine. Wow. This really had me going in this episode. What about the new TARDIS? Uh, the TARDIS was amazing. It had white the inside was huge, white. It looked like um, I don't know, like a mix between Doctor Who and Star Wars. It had a ton of the bumpy things, which we all know Number Ten loved. <laughs> so many bumpy things. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, amazing looking TARDIS. I cannot. But then, of course, it's in flames at the end of the episodes. Uh, spoiler alert. So yeah. let's see where it goes from there. I hope we get to exactly. see more of it. Can I just I add one thing this to this? Sure. <laughs> Doctor Who? <laughs> Thanks, Exactly. <laughs> All right, uh, Jim, that's our quick review well, of uh, the Star Beast from this week. Well, I got to say that uh, I happen to enjoy Jodie Whittaker's Doctor Who myself. Oh. So uh, I, I liked her. I thought I, I enjoyed when we reviewed all those episodes with her, with you guys, because I know nothing about Doctor yep. Who at all. And I, I happen to enjoy what I saw with Jodie Whittaker. I, so I enjoyed Jodie. I just knew there were fans. I enjoyed Jodie. I knew there were fans that had issues with some of the stories. Her first and season, I really the, the writing's really good in the first season, and then it just falls the off. Episode, Not her first the most as one of the best and I think is the episode called Rosa. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. That was really, really good. So at any rate. Actually, uh, actually if you get a chance, Jim. Yeah. Get a chance, Jim. I know you got Disney. Go watch it and see what you think. Yeah. Yeah. I might, I just might do that. Um, cause, uh, David Tennant was, um, on, uh, Jennifer Jessica Jones as the bad guy. He was. He was also in Good yeah. Omens, which was a great show as well. Yeah, so I have seen him on other stuff. Um, although the first Doctor Who episode I ever watched was with him, and it was with this giant piece of skin and floating basketball yeah. heads, and me and Jamie uh, sat there. And said, yeah, what? Episode, sec- is second episode. episode. Moisturize me. Yeah, you're watching from way back then was just like a piece of skin that was like stretched out and it had a face in the middle. I was like, what the heck? Yep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What everybody 
talking about is so great. This is the dumbest thing I've ever seen. <laughs> um, Wrong well, episode I, to watch. Yeah, I, that was a, a strange episode. Um, I I I had a really good time watching Jody Whittaker, and um, I think I might go and check that out. So I want to say thank you to Paul, even though he had he had to jet for hanging out and revisiting with us Star Trek Discovery. Uh, season one, and the context is for kings. And of course, thank you to our very own David. Even though he didn't bring enough donuts for everybody, we still appreciate it. Thank you so much, David. You're welcome. They were good, but I didn't eat any, so oh well. <laughs> <laughs> and thank you so much to Eric for hanging out and Trek talking with us. Thank you, Eric. Absolutely. Thank you so much, guys. And thank you, Charles, for getting me hooked on David, uh, or not on David Tennant, but on Doctor Who all those years ago, because now I consider myself a real Whovian. Yeah. Doctor You're Whovian. welcome. I, I, I'm not even a junior Whovian. <laughs> I'm a Whovian. I'm a Tardigan Whovian. Yeah, there you go. And thank you so much to, Eric, for, to Charles for hanging out with us. And Trek talking tonight. Thank you, Charles. Oh, thank you. Got, it was nice to get talking a little bit about Doctor Who and Star Trek. I'm glad Combining. I got da- I'm glad I got uh, Eric hooked because I would love to go back and do a lot more of the original. But I love the reboot series. And there's a couple of there's a, I put a couple of Doctor Who Star Trek memes up on our Trek talking page. If you guys didn't see them, yeah. Um, I was yep. thinking of you guys when I found them. <laughs> and, and now we need a title called Meeplish in Seattle. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> that was a great episode of Phineas and Ferb. <laughs> if you guys are interested in, in picking up an autographed uh, Lieutenant Arium picture from Sarah Mitch, head over to trucktalking.com, go to the giveaways, click on the blue microphone, tell me why you want the picture, and I'll send it to you. It's that simple. It really, really is. Next week, we're going to be talking about the Pikes. And there's not one, there's not two, there's not even three. There are four Pikes. And that's exactly what Captain Picard yeah. said. There are four Pikes. And we're going to yeah. talk about I remember that. that when he says that, yeah. That was totally he said what he said. Now I'm going to get a fourth Pike haircut. I'm going to get four Pike haircut in my head. <laughs> yeah, we're going to be talking about Star Trek The Cage which was the episode that started it all, although it wasn't never aired officially. We're going to talk about that next week. I'm your most excellent host, Uncle Jim, saying please be good to each other and stay safe. And remember, Star Trek fans are the best fans. Hailing frequencies are closed. Good night, everybody. Good night. Live long and prosper. Night, y'all. Let's see what's out there. Hello, you have reached the Q Continuum. We are unable to get to the phone right now because we are busy living in a plane of existence your feeble mortal minds cannot possibly comprehend. Furthermore, it's pointless to leave a message because we, of course, already knew that you would call and we simply do not care. Have a nice day.